are so excited you've joined us here at Marion Methodist. My name is Kelsey DeRoos. I am the Director of Youth and Missions. Uh, this morning, we have a lot of great things happening, and we're going to be talking about our kids. And I thought I would kind of preface that with t- telling a little story about my daughter, Brinley. And she loves reading the Bible every night. We le- read a Bible app. We read that, and we read a plan. And before we go to bed, she always yells at Ben, my husband, and says, Okay, Dad, let's go read Bible. So let's read Bible and start off with the Bible this morning. So this morning, this past few weeks, we've been reading Micah 6, 8 uh, in, this, in Scripture every morning. And this is the third week, so there's some words missing. Every week, we have been memorizing Scripture, putting it on our hearts, putting God's Word on our hearts. So if you're new with us today, it's your first time, pull out the bulletin. Uh, you can look up this verse, and you can see it, so that way you can read along with us. If you have been here in the past couple weeks, I challenge you to not pull out the bulletin, and let's read these words together aloud so we can say it. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. All right, let's do it again. Now that we've done it once, we've gotten our feet wet. Ready? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. All right, we have one more week of this work, of this verse. I encourage you to come back next week as we go along with this verse. And the week after that, we're starting a new one. And then we're also going to continue with scripture. We're going to read out of Exodus 20 this morning to to kick off the morning. Exodus 20 says, Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. These are the words of the Lord. Amen. Here's some words from scriptures about the value and the importance of our children. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth, and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. I think sometimes when, when we think about, I didn't really think that through very well. Um, I think sometimes when we think about the value of our children and the, and the legacy and the heritage that, of our faith that, that we are seeking to pass on, um, it can be overwhelming at times um, trying to make sure that we know all the right answers. And I don't really think that's the, I don't think that's the way we should feel. I know it's natural for us to feel like we need to be Bible scholars. We need to know all the answers to these incredibly tough questions um, if we're going to teach our kids about our faith. But our understanding is, is limited just as theirs is. And so we need to lean not on our own understanding, but we need to look to the one. We need to look to the words of Scripture. We need to look to God to give us inspiration, to give us 
the, the wisdom and, and knowledge that we need to pass on. But hear this. Just because we may have trepidation and fear about being um, right or wrong, just know that it's, it's far better to stumble through something than to hold back and not do it at all. Amen? Take my little pulpit for a walk here. Hey, I uh, wanted to tell you as, uh, as I begin my piece today, um, how excited I am about what you see behind me on the altar. Um, and you saw out in the center, our decoration committee is at work. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Yay. There's uh, a couple of, I have a couple of favorite things about it. Number one, they did it with the joy in their heart. Uh, they did it with excitement and passion. And I didn't have to do anything. That was my favorite part. So, and they also made the invitation uh, for me to share with you that if you'd like to be part of the decorations committee, uh, just grab a hold of me and I'll connect you with those um, they want to do some creative stuff. They're going to do some creative things during the fall. Um, then they'll be joining in the Christmas decorations and so on and so forth. So um, pretty cool. Um, want to talk to you a little bit about November. Um, typically, Simon, Kelsey, and I preach in series like we've done with Taboo in the Temple, some other things, some Bible verses, books in the past. November is going to be a little different because we're concluding this sermon series here today. And then we're going to have three Sundays that are each uh, separate in and of themselves. The first one next week is going to be 412 Sunday, which doesn't mean that it's just going to be about the students. In fact, what we're going to be telling you, a couple students and myself, of what we put into our students and why we think those verses, 412, are important for all Christians to know and learn. So we hope you come back for that. You've heard a little bit about the bishop coming on November 18th in the United Methodist Church. We're kind of broken into little groups, and we have a bishop that's over the top of me, uh, like essentially the boss that can uh, lead us, and so we encourage all of you to come back. That's going to be a special day when Lori Haller gives her talk here. And then on November 25th, even though it's the Sunday after um, Thanksgiving, we're going to have a Thanksgiving worship, so we hope you'll come with a heart of praise. Uh, we're really looking forward to that day here in the, in the sanctuary. And um, we have um, a family that comes to our church, uh, the Kibokos, uh, Grace is in our praise band for 412, very active in that. Betty is in our uh, United Methodist Women. And Kiboko Kiboko is our district superintendent. And he has been stricken uh, with the gout, so much so that now he's had to get one of those little carts that you wheel around on. And, and I'm going to ask you, as I begin my time here this morning, just to take a minute and pray for Kiboko Kiboko, which is the district superintendent of the United Methodist Church in this area, that he might have healing. We, we believe that, 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 that God can power, uh, you know, has supernatural powers to heal us. And so we don't hesitate to ask that. So I'd ask as, as I begin here that, that you just might put your heart uh, towards Kiboko. Let's pray. Uh, God, we come to you this morning uh, knowing that our friend Kiboko, who often attends with us, who is uh, one of our spiritual leaders, is ailing bad. We, we know that we all have had maladies and aches and, and diseases in our bodies, so we know how debilitating that can be in, in, fi- in our physical body, in our, in our emotional body, and, of course, it gets even into our, our mental health, Lord. So now that Kiboko has had this for uh, well over a month, as he's traveled back and forth to Africa, uh, his, it keeps getting worse. And so, God, we just ask, uh, if it's your will, um, we know sometimes you strike us with things that are to the benefit of others, to the benefit of your kingdom, but if it's your will, uh, we really ask on behalf of all of those gathered here and, and, and Methodists around 
uh, that you might heal Kaboko, that you might remove that from him so that he might be uh, more useful uh, for you. Lord, we, we yield all things to your, to your pleasure and disposal, uh, and we ask this prayer. And we ask, Lord, that uh, our hearts might be open, our minds might be open to hear the message that's prepared for us this day. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you're just coming along, this is the last of six sermons about called Taboo in the Temple. And during this time we've been talking about Taboo in the Temple, what we've tried to do is not talk about your life, but actually get in your life and have preaching that's right in the lives that you lead, such as it was right in your yard. We've talked about your words. We've talked about your money. We've talked about your sex. We've talked about your addictions. We've talked about uh, all kind of your power. And now today... We talk about your kids. Now, I know we're talking about something that's pretty precious to you. I understand the audience to which uh, the congregation that's gathered here. I know how important your kids are to you. I know how important my kids are to me. So much so that I say this without any hesitation. If I had to trade my salvation to get theirs, I would do that. I would risk spending the rest of eternity in hell so those kids could be in heaven. And I suspect that most of the parents in this room feel the same way about their children. So I understand exactly what we're walking into when I come to this. Some people said, oh, man, you're talking about addictions and sex. I said, I'm not worried about that one at all. But when I talk about other people's kids while they're in the room, that's important. Now, not everybody here is a parent. I get that. Now, everybody has a small child with them. I understand that. I also know that everybody has a perspective on parenting. Everybody has the perspective of what a Christian parent is, and everybody has an opinion. So I simply want to boil down this to this. What does every parent want for their child or children? Simple phrase. They want the best, right? Right? That's what I wanted for my kids. I wanted the best. Don't you want the best for your kids? Isn't what that was all about is wanting the best for your kids. That's what we want. We we, we don't even apologize for that. We don't preface it with anything. We want the best for our kid. Now, there's a lot of options as to what the best might be, a lot of lists. You can go to, to, to Barnes & Noble, all those kind of places. You can go to the Internet and read that. But I want you to understand when we talk about the best in the context of the place which you're sitting is the Church of Jesus Christ. When we talk about what we want and when we want the best for our kids, the best for our kids in relation to the Christian church and the tradition of the Christian church is we want them to become adult Christians. I'll wait for the amen. Do you agree, though? I mean, that's the best we can do for our kids. If we can translate our kids into being adult Christians, we will have given them the best. But I don't want to speak for students or or young people in this generation. There was a survey taken of just short of 5,000 Young adults, I want to read a little bit of it to you. Several thousand Christian young adults, just short of 5,000, ages 22 through 27, a year ago were asked, why do you believe in God? Pretty critical question. I want to share with you their three main answers. Number one, they were converted. They were converted. That means when you're converted, that means you were one thing, and you're transformed or changed into another thing. The number one answer in Christian adults, 22 to 27, all college graduates, all that age group, say they were converted. That means they clearly saw the options that were available to them, the way they could live their life 
in the world today, and they consciously chose that Christian lifestyle was the best, that it was the healthiest option for them. It was the most beneficial way to live their life, and they made a choice for Christ. They left what they were to become what they are. They were converted. Number two answer, they were equipped and not entertained. I want you to understand that way because Pastor Mike is probably the highest paid youth minister you've ever met. And I love playing games with kids. You can ask them. I laugh along with the best of them. I enjoy playing games with kids. But students that have been converted, adults that have chosen Christ, say that they were equipped, not just entertained. They were given the grounds for thoughtful theological inquiry and investigation. Did they screw around? Of course. It doesn't take any energy to make a 12, 15, or 17-year-old screw around, right? It's their DNA. They mess around. That's what they like to do. But it also is there's this deep longing within all of them for the deep questions of life and investigating those things. And, and what helped them get equipped, not just be entertained by adults, they weren't, a lot of the student people that became Christians, the people around them weren't worried about saying, oh, let's just keep them happy. Let's make them happy. If they don't love church, we'll quit making them come. They, they wanted them to be informed. They, they take them to places that, 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 that help them experience adults that are willing to engage in their realities, whatever those realities are. I mean, you know, sometimes you have to talk to a 15-year-old about how messy their life is freshman year in high school and how no girls like them before you can get to the point of what they really need to talk about and address. But when adults engage in, in them, then they become equipped. They get resourced. They get stretched. And their big questions start to at least get some answers. The third answer that's almost a tie with the other two is their parents preach the gospel to them. Their parents preach the gospel to them. Not some guy on the internet, not some old man standing in front of their church or young man or young woman. We have all those things. They first met the gospel in their homes. They were taught the Jesus stories, like what Kelsey was talking about. They, they learned Jesus loves me, this I know. They learned some of the basic stories that are easily repeatable, that are readable in every children's Bible that there's ever been. But they experienced the gospel first in their homes. They were taught, they were preached to the gospel at home. They continued to hear it, listen to this, parents, in their parents' lives, in the way they live. You understand, we hear what we see. I should almost do a repeat after me. We hear what we see. A, a child hears what they see. You can say anything, but what they see is what they hear. We hear what we see. And the church of Jesus Christ claims this as good. We endeavor to make. We endeavor to grow. We endeavor to develop children into adult disciples because we believe that is the best. This is what Jesus says. Take a look at, at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 19, 13, 13 through 15. You've heard this one. You know this one. Then Jesus brought little, then, then people brought little children to Jesus. Now, who do you think these people are? You, you don't suspect that people in the crowd were just walking by and said, hey, there's a kid. I'll take him to Jesus. Right? Today, that'd be a chargeable offense. But, right? So don't you think it's the parents? Parents brought little children to Jesus. 
for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples, a bunch of men, right, rebuked them. And Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on all them, which means when he'd taken time for all of them, he went on to the next thing. So when we talk about our kids, number one in importance to Jesus seems to be bring them to me. Bring them to me. Now, I know that when we see that scripture, we see this idyllic picture, this idyllic picture of parents bringing their children to Jesus. As a matter of fact, one of the churches I've served as a pastor had a stained glass window of Jesus with the little children. He's knelt down. He's the Norwegian, white Jesus, of course, you know. So he's, he's you know, touching a kid, and there's a parent longingly in the back looking, and there's probably a lamb running around or something. We have this idyllic picture of, of, of people bringing their children to Jesus and that it's all a blessing and it's all wonderful and all that kind of stuff. But hear this scripture with a little bit of more of force that might be applied in our minds because we like the idyllic picture. We like that lovely picture of Jesus. But Jesus, I feel, has some force behind this when he says, let them come to me. Do not hinder them. This is a call and a demand. Let them come. Don't you dare try to stop them getting to me. I, I think there's some force in this. Because what Jesus is saying to parents is, set your sights. Set your sights high. Set your sights on making, growing, and developing your children into adult adult disciples so they will be with me. Adult disciples end with Jesus forever. You see what I'm saying? Don't miss what I'm saying. Jesus' demand is to expose them to clear and informed and firm instruction in his way, in the way of Christ. Now, I knew a few weeks ago when I began to put the outline together for this talk that there's a jillion ways you can go with this, a jillion ways that you can say, how should we inform ourselves? How should we equip our parents in our church to, 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 to work with their own kids? Again, there's like all these lists. But, but today, I just want to give you three, three difficult time-consuming things to influence the ministry that you have with your kids. And by the way, this means kids that are 6 to 56. Because I will tell you this, as an adult, parenting adults, sometimes there's some stuff going on that they need some help with. So we never get to run out being parents. We become a lot more friendly with our kids. By the way, when you're still living with your parents' home, if you still are, we become a lot more friendly with you later when we don't have to worry about you all the time. But we never stop being parents. So I'm just going to give you three things, and we'll get to the body and blood of Christ. Number one, make your case for Christ, your personal case for Christ. The spiritual life of a child is directly related to the spiritual life of the adults around them. That is simply true. In everything that we do, we're making a case for what matters to us. No matter what we're doing, we're making a case for what matters for us. If you put Christ first in your life, they will see that you live what you believe. Commit continually to developing your faith and understanding Christianity. I had a buddy tell me a couple weeks ago, Mike, I had like the best Saturday ever. 
I'm like, what'd you do? He said, I went to a two-hour class on how to make a kite. I said, that's awesome. I don't want to go, but <laughs> I'm glad you had fun. And I think, I'm glad you think it's really important. Because we all have our hobbies. We all spend a lot of time. But in my mind, I wondered to myself, I wondered, and I'm going to repent of this one day, but it's not going to be today. <laughs> I wondered, have you spent two hours this week deepening your faith and understanding of Christianity? And I wonder that about myself. We always pursue what's valuable to us. That's just simply what we do. Our lives are always making a case. And so we need to set time aside to grow as Christians. We, we need to grow ourselves as Christians. We need to make our own case for Christ. We, we, we need to take the time to grow. We, need, we schedule everything else. I mean, I could pull out my iPhone, and, and it's got this whole week scheduled out. And I know I have to make time for my own relationship with Christ to grow, as do you. We need to dedicate time to grow your faith. And as parents, we must equip ourselves in what's called apologetics. I, I, I don't want to throw a word at you don't know, but you, you need to equip yourselves in, in, in apologetics, which is teaching the truth of Christianity and defending your belief. It doesn't mean that you ever into the world community that we're in right now, just because things go different than Christianity, say, well, I apologize for my faith. We never apologize for our faith. That's not what apologetics means. Apologetics means you defend what you believe. You're able to say why you believe and to defend that against whatever comes. And it does come. Anybody that works anywhere with other people needs to be able to defend their faith and, and, and make their case stronger. You need to take time. Now, parents, you need to take time to answer your own skepticism about the faith. To, to plumb into the, your own questions about this. To dig into what really troubles you about the faith. And, and get yourself right to proactively address the great questions of belief and faith and the great questions of our day, day before the moment comes when you have to decide. Decide before you have to decide. Because there's a moment in everything where you just, it comes, you don't have any choices. You have to decide right now. So don't decide unequipped. Make your case. Be ready. And share your faith in front of your kids and others. Share your faith in front of them and, and others. One of the most horrifying things, I've been here a long time, some of you that don't know me. I've, had over th I've administered over 300 funerals in the course of my life at Marion Methodist. Most a blessing, but there are times, and, and I hear this sentence that really are, is difficult for me, where I'll be sitting with someone, a family, and that person person, the deceased, might have been part of our church for a long time. And I'll say, what, did your dad have any favorite Bible verses? Or did your, what did your dad say about the faith? And they will say this sentence about which I hope none is ever said about you. They say, I don't really know what my dad believed. That absolutely is like taking a shovel to my guts. That absolutely slays me. Because I feel so bad. Don't, don't just believe in God. Say it out loud and begin with telling your kids. Again, it doesn't matter if they're 6 or 46. Tell your kids what, they, what you believe so they know it. And then, then branch out. Then branch out and, and telling others. Listen, they know your favorite sports team. They know the brand of car that you always buy. They know what you take in your coffee. They need to know what you believe about God. So make sure they do. 
Number two, model the love of Christ in all circumstances. Live the Christian life. It's, it's as hard and as simple as that. If you say to your students, if you say to your children, do what I say, not what I do, you're wasting time. That is a complete fail to say, do what I say, not what I do. Because they are going to do what you do. That is most likely. Kids of every age will put on the front burner of their life a lot of what you put on the front burner of your life. If they see you relegating things to the back burner, that's where they'll put them. But if you put things on the front burner of your life, they will think, to the most important life teachers I have, these things are important. My parents think this is important. It must be important. So if you put vacations on the front burner of your life and show that they're important, so will they as they become adults. If you put uh, family fun going together with, with reunions and stuff, they'll put that out there. If you put working, being a workaholic, they will put that on their front burner. If you put cheating, lying, drinking, going to strip clubs, whatever, that's what they'll put on the front burner of their life because that's what they see. The things you put on their back burner as parents... That's what they'll relegate to the back burner as well. We need to embody morality in line with the Christian tradition. I don't have to do a lot of teaching on that. You know what that is. But you may have to clean your viewing. You may have to clean your vocabulary. You may have to clean up some of your spending habits. You have to take this phrase out of your language. I hear this phrase all the time. Somebody will say, hey, I want to tell you a joke. It's not that bad. I'm like, I'm cool. You already told me what it was. That's like you're going to stab me, but not that much. I prefer not to be stabbed. So, so we, we, we need to clean ourselves in, 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 in line of living the Christian life. You know the morality of Christianity. It's, it's been well spread out. Just live it. It's really hard, by the way. But look at all the helpers you have. Look at all the support you have. And don't be afraid to serve others with, ch- with, with your children. You know, we're going to send a group to Haiti this after, or at the end of this service. But not all of us are going to Haiti. You can't all go to Haiti. But there's lots of places you can serve around here. There's, there's neighbors that need served. There's friends that need served. There's people that just need their walk scoop. There's all those kind of things. Involve your children in that sort of working, even if it's with the organizations that are all over town. And worship God. I, I don't want to miss this. Worship God. Don't just spend time at church. Worship God. Worship's an attitude, not an attendance. You can be here and not participate in anything ever. It's kind of like this actually happened to me once. I went to a basketball game once, and in the seat next to me was a person writing a paper for class. They were at the game. Well, they went home. They had no idea what happened. When we come to worship, it's not just about our attendance here. That's where it starts. But it's about flinging ourselves into God. Now, you might not be the guy that's dancing around, waving flags and doing cartwheels up and down the aisle. God doesn't require that of you. But what he requires is letting you fling your whole heart into it and being part of what's necessary. And encourage your children then to have godly influences on their lives. Do everything you can to ensure that their coaches and their teachers and their friends are godly influences. My mother was at the last service, but she said this to me a million times if she said it once. She said, we built our whole home environment on the idea of being around whole. What that meant to her was, 
that then when her kids, my brother, sister, or I, would bring somebody into that environment that was a square peg, they'd self-select themselves out. Oh, we may dabble in it for a little while. We may wonder about how that very different kind of lifestyle might work, but ultimately within the family dynamic, that square peg would never fit the round hole my parents had built for what fits with this family of Christians. And third, help your kids make their case for Christ. If you make your case for Christ, help them make their case for Christ. Be discipleship trainers. Prioritize their Christian training. A a child cannot have your faith. They cannot take it from you. They can can receive pieces of it, but they can't say, well, I'm just going to have my dad's faith. I'm just going to have my mom's faith, and that will be enough. No, that's a thing they cannot possess. They have to build their own faith so they can receive nuggets of teaching and training from you if you give them to them. But they need to build their own faith. That's the only way they can be successful with faith in in Christian living. And you need to help them articulate, be able to say the words of faith in, in their own language. And I encourage you to study the Bible with kids. I mean, really study it. You want to be hardcore here? As if I wasn't already? If, if I was to say, all you parents, we're going to do a raise of your hands. How many of you think it's important to study the Bible? I'll bet I get 90% of the hands go up. But if I say, how many of us do it with our kids? Probably the numbers reverse, right? Not guilt, it's opportunity. If it didn't start yesterday, today's a good day. The Bible, you see, is the attack point all of the non-Christians out there. They will bring the Bible to attack your kids with. Your kids that agree with the Bible or think they agree with the Bible because we bring them to church or we tell them that Christianity is important, if they don't know it, they are susceptible because there are incongruencies in the Bible. And you know about these things. There are things that don't always jibe with each other. And you know about these things. And if your children can't figure them out for themselves, and if we don't help them, they're going to stop caring about what it says because it's too hard to defend. We need to help them make their case. You need to study the Bible with your kids. You need to schedule time to do this. Kelsey does a fantastic job in 412. Simon does a great job with the youth band. Our our Bible school leaders do it. Our our 412 leaders do it. Our summer games leaders do it. Our confirmation teachers do it. They do a fantastic time. But we don't have enough time. You have so much more time with them than us. And even though we love them, we can't love them to the depths that you do. It's just impossible for us. We want to. But but you get so many more hours, and you're their main life teachers. They're going to listen to you so much more than we have. And there's so many resources out there today. Just get some. They're free online. I mean, download the Bible app and just start going through it with your kids. It's awesome. But we need to prep our kids for the skeptics and the competing worldviews to Christianity. Out there, we're taking a, we're doing a food drive for our veterans. We would never think as Americans of sending our, our, our military services saying, well, you're, you're the right age. We'll put some green outfits on you. Go. Well, don't I get any guns or anything? Don't I get any 
thing to shield me? No, you're good. Just go by yourself. You'll be fine. We would never think of sending someone into a battle like that. So let's not send our kids into the battle that is living in junior high and high school or middle school and high school and, and grade school defenseless, without a shield, without a sword. Seek answers to the things that you don't know. Answer questions that they have about faith. Take the time to thoughtfully and, 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 and investigate and deeply help them think through stuff because I got to tell you, I'm not surprised by the depth and richness of kids' spirituality. I'm simply not. I've been around them too long. At 11, 12 years old, not only do they have some wisdom in there, but they have deep questions, and they want to find the answers to them. And we need to address them. We need to help them address them appropriately for where they're at in life. And we need not be afraid that we might not know every answer because they love you already. And you say, I don't know all these answers, but let's find them. You lose your keys, you're going to try to find it together. If you have the opportunity to help them towards their salvation, try to help them find it. We need to prep them for the skeptics that are out there, and there are millions of them that they'll come in contact. Because, you know, our kids, we love them so much. I mean, I talk about my kid, my heart goes right into my mouth. I love them so much. And we need to love them enough to bring them to Jesus. To bring them to Jesus so that, you know, when that day comes, when we're on the other side of this earth and we're with the Lord, that we can wait for their coming presence confident that they're on their way because of what we threw into them because of what the time we put into them, because we took the development of their Christianity as seriously as we took our own salvation. I'm not afraid of that. I'll throw everything I have into your kids. It means that much to me. Anytime, any place, anywhere. And I just admonish you, get them to Jesus. Every means possible. Every means possible. And I say these words to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? God, we love our kids. God, they mean so much to us. We think about them day and night, whether they're 4 or 44, and we want the best for them. So, Lord God, help us to give that to them. Help us to give the very best to them, the best of this world and the best of the one to come. Encourage us, Lord, to build our own life in Christ and you in such a way that they see it as something winsome and lovely that they want as well. Help us, O God, to be fearless regardless of all the odds stacked up against us. Help us, God, to look even before we leave this room to those on the left and right that are sojourning this same path, that are raising kids in this generation where every kind of wickedness this way comes to them. And let us be encouraged. Because you give us all we need to walk through this difficult and dark time, guiding them forward. In your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one to whom we bring our children, we pray. Amen.